welcome to Your Best Riding Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Riders Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week, I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. Thank you so much for listening in today. It is such a joy to have you here, to hear your comments, to get your feedback. And today, we are jumping deep into writing memoirs. I know that there are so many of you out there that have a story, your life journey. So we brought an expert that's going to be able to help you check off little boxes to be able to encourage you. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't, no, don't ever do that. Instead, consider doing this. My industry expert is the New York Times bestselling author and co-author of 16 books, Susie Flory. Susie directs West Coast Christian Writers. She's the founder of Everything Memoir and is in her final year of an MA in New Testament from Northern Seminary. Her book, The Unbreakable Boy, this is exciting, was adapted for the screen and is scheduled for a 2022 release. Guess what? It's starring Patricia Heaton and Zachary Levi. Her most recent book is Sanctuary by Tyndall House, co-authored with Patrick Barrett. And it is a true story of an Irish village, a man who lost his way, and the rescue of donkeys that led him home. It was launched in March of 2022, so we are only right around the corner from it. Susie Flory, welcome, welcome to your best writing life. Linda, it's so good to be here, and you did that accent so well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I've been known for the accents for many times. That's why I kind of do the audiobook narration as well. But it is so good to have you here, and anytime I can toss that out, it's almost like I have to put a filter on my mouth to say, no, don't do that, don't do that. Susie, again, thank you for being with us. And I'd love to start off with our first-time guest with a little peek behind the personal curtain, if you will. So, Susie, would you share something about yourself with our listeners that we may not read in your bio? Uh, Linda, I was raised on the back of a quarter horse uh, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And there aren't many cowboys there, but there were a few, including my dad. He was from LaGrange, Texas, a little town in the hills just outside of Houston. And he grew up on a ranch taking care of animals. And he was an animal whisperer, a horse whisperer. And so I got to grow up with a dad who loved animals and passed that love on to me and my family. And we actually have a wildlife rehabilitation facility on our property here in California. And we take care of orphaned and injured local baby squirrels here in the mountains. Oh, wow. You've got little baby squirrels. So how many squirrels do you keep there on average? Uh, We try to get them back out into the forest as soon as possible. There's five or six kinds of squirrels here, including flying squirrels, which are really fun. Uh, And we, at any given time, we may have a few dozen and some are in longer term care. Some try, you know, we try to get them right back out there. So it's, it's so much fun. You get to snuggle a baby squirrel. Oh, that's so cute. 
I love it. Oh, I need you to send me some photos of your sanctuary. I oh, that would just be amazing to me. My my little girl inside would be going, "Ooh, I just want to touch it." So <laughs> They're but pretty darn cute, I have to, to say. Right? Right? Oh, so amazing. God's creation is so amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. We're going to jump right into our content for today, which is writing memoirs. And share with our listeners, if you would, what's the difference between a memoir and a biography or an autobiography? More and more memoirs are written like novels. So that means they need to be a great story a great reading experience. And so what that means is that you have to figure out what you're going to keep in and what you're going to leave out. Because most of our lives would fill an entire bookshelf, maybe even a whole bookcase, you know, all the things that have happened to us. And so you have to figure out what's going to make that great story that a reader's going to enjoy. I once had uh, a gentleman come along who had written a 300,000 word memoir and wanted some help with it. And so that can be the problem. So what we want is a beautiful story, well told, that engages the reader from that very first moment, because we all want people to actually finish our memoirs. This is true. I'm thinking 300,000 300, words mm -hmm. and my head hurts. It was more of a history. It was a history, not a memoir. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay. So um, when you look at a biography and an autobiography, what makes them a little bit different than that? So an autobiography, <clears throat> excuse me, typically starts with birth and goes chronologically through a person's life. And you're trying to capture all of the details, you know, the dates, the places, the people, you don't want to leave anything out. And a memoir, you may start somewhere in the middle of that person's life, uh, whether it's your life or someone else's. And you want to start with something that's going to introduce that person to the reader, and they're going to fall in love with them, just like a novel does. And so um, you're going to also identify a central idea or theme in your memoir, especially a Christian memoir. Uh, you're going to weave in some takeaway for the reader and craft it into a powerful emotional experience. So you can see kind of the storytelling uh, that happens in a memoir that doesn't doesn't always happen in a biography or autobiography. Absolutely. I think of, I have several books on my shelves that are autobiographies and, or, and some are biographies of family members' lives when they came over and the Mayflower experience and all of this. So it really was more of a timeline of their life, the experience, but not as much what you're sharing here, that essence of story, that essence of engagement with the reader. And it's really more of a it's discovery, a discovery of what was going on in the life of the author. So I, I appreciate I appreciate those differences there. Yeah, it's a, a memoir is a season of a life typically, although you're going to have flashbacks and background and things like that. But you typically pick a big moment in your life 
And then you kind of weave the story around that. And that really helps people make that distinction between kind of the timeline approach you're talking about and, you know, this great story that we get swept away in. Mm. Mm. Very good. So you tell us that we can learn we can learn a lot from novelists, those of us that are considering writing a memoir. So share with us what that would be. So the hardest thing about memoir, uh, and for me, teaching and coaching people in memoir, is that you know your own life. You know your people. You know the places. It's all in your heart, your head. It's down in there. It's just part of you. But the people reading your story, they don't know those things. So recently, I was talking to somebody who was who lived in San Francisco her entire life. And San Francisco, you know, it's kind of a fabled city for many reasons, good and bad. It's it's the city itself has a big personality. And many of us, you know, raised in the suburbs or in the country or in other places, we have no idea what it's like to live in a city like that, you know, cosmopolitan, famous city with a reputation. And to her, it was her normal. So she literally uh, didn't talk about the city at all, gave no detail. And so that's what's hard about memoir is getting outside of yourself, being able to kind of see it from a different perspective. And, you know, put in all that good stuff that's going to make it such a rich story. That's what we can learn from novelists. Because I do enjoy the what what did I step into when I walked out the door experience. And if I'm if I don't have the feel of what's going on around the author, around the central character, then it's kind of flat. And, you know, we can only deal with flat for you know, a short amount of time, kind of like with all the pandemic stuff. I turned to a place point in my life where I went, you know what, I've recognized it. all my friends are now flat because they're all on a screen. Well, I don't want to experience that when someone is writing a memoir. At the same with when someone writes a novel. I want 3D. I need that dimensional writing. And for us to include that in a memoir. I can see how that can enhance it right away. And it also gives us more word count. (laughs) Very true. And it's an immersive experience. You know, you're rebuilding Mm. this world. So not only are you entertaining the reader and engaging the reader, you are recreating a part of history. And there's a lot of value to that. The world that you grew up in, the world that you lived in during whatever parts of the story you're telling from your life you are recreating that for as a legacy for people who come after you. I think there's so much value in that. I know I wish my grandmother and great-grandmother had written something like that. So I knew what their world was like. Mm, I really, I like that phrase. You're rebuilding the world from your point of view, your timeline for the reader to experience. And I think there's a lot of legacy that has been lost by many families who did not record what was happening in the life and their particular generation. And, you know, paradigm shifts from years ago took a lot longer. And today we have life around us changing at a lightning speed. And so bringing that knowledge of what it was like in the day. 
I think is quite valuable. And I enjoy reading that in memoirs myself. Very, very good. Well, we, when we look at, for our listeners, when we look at traditional publishing houses, there's been the tendency for publishers and agents to sometimes discourage our memoirists from trying that route, that traditional publishing route. Can you talk about that for a moment? I think that's so true, Linda, especially, I think it's especially challenging in the Christian market. Um, Every Christian, every person of faith, just about every person has a God story. They have a story where God has met them at a point of need. God has brought them through suffering. God has healed them in one way or another. God has you know, uh, lifted them out of addiction or dysfunction or restored them after abuse. So these, these God stories are so important. And that's actually why I do what I do, because I think these are important. They're important for the kingdom. Um, you know, they extend the kingdom of God and God working in people's lives. Christians love to talk about that. We love to hear those stories. Unfortunately, there's a lot of them. And so when someone, you know, decides they want to write a book, they have a God story. There's the God has brought them through something hard. They come to a writer's conference and they find out there's a lot of other people who have those stories and there's only so many publishing slots. So I feel like it's my calling to help those people make their stories better. You know, they kind of think if they can just tell the God story, everyone's going to be amazed. And that may be true. But there's so many of these others, you have to elevate your writing to the next level to get a look from editors and agents. It has to be really well written. And so that's always kind of a wake up call for a new writer. uh, And you hope that it's a gentle wake up call. Mm. Oh, that's a nice word. We, We do have many friends and family members who will jump on that bandwagon and tell us as writers, oh, everyone needs to hear your story. They need to hear your story. That's a, that's an amazing story. Well, and it's, and it is an amazing story. And as you said, it is that God moment, that God story, Mm -hmm. but our friends and family, they know us. They don't know everyone else around the world that God is creating this amazing story in and through. And like you said, there's only so many slots. We don't think about that going out there as writers. I'm gonna, I'm going to, you know, present this to this house, and I'm sure they'll jump on it because I see that they've written similar, and that's a key, folks. Make sure if you approach somebody and it's a publishing house, look at see what they are publishing, what they have published. Okay. When was the late last time that they published something like yours? And, but not realizing, oh, they only publish or select X number of releases for the upcoming year. Most of the time, they're almost two, three, four years out, depending on certain publishing houses. And they do have to be selective because folks, as much as your story is real and amazing for you, publishing houses are businesses and they look at that as well. Would you concur with that, Susie? 
<laughs> I would. And there are certain kinds of memoir. Uh, most people don't know there are different kinds of memoir. It's not all just kind of this, you know, kind of history based type. So there are different forms of memoir, and some are more attractive to publishers than others. So I think learning that is important. And then working on your craft. You know, if I decide I want to play the piano, I don't get to just sit down and play the piano. I can't just watch a YouTube video and learn how to do it. It's going to take me years, you know, to learn that craft, to learn that skill, to practice, to get better over Mm -hmm. time. And I think it's the same with writing. So even if you have a fabulous story, and most people do have a story, you still, there's this whole craftsmanship, you know, period where you're learning how to do it. Absolutely. We're going to be going to the 10 rules for writing memoir in just a moment, but you touched on that there are different kinds. Why don't you shed some light on that? What are the different kinds of memoirs that are out there? Yeah. So when people hear the word memoir, I think a lot of times what they think about is um, the memoir of a famous person. So a lot of us are curious about public figures, whether they're you know, political leaders or celebrities or a business leader. And so we'll pick up their memoir and read those. And those people, the rules don't really apply to them. They get to sort of write however they want to write, whatever they want to write. And we don't get to do that the same way that they do. If they want to start with their birth and tell their whole story, people would probably still buy their book. So that's kind of a classic memoir or a public memoir. But some of the memoirs that are really popular that people love, that ordinary people write, are a fish out of water story. So where you you have an experience where you go to another country or you grow up in a really unusual place and people are just fascinated by, you know, that exotic uh, kind of setting and background and what happened to you there. Um, a stunt memoir, those are very popular as well. If you think of, um, oh my goodness, I'm trying to think of the one where the woman uh, lived out, Rachel Held Evans um, lived out all of the Proverbs 31 woman, <laughs> um, you know, characteristics for a whole year. Oh, I can't think of it right now. But that's a stunt memoir where you set yourself a little assignment. Uh, another one I'm thinking of, a guy went and lived under um, an overpass. And I think it was called Under the Overpass. For for, yeah. Mm-hmm. And for an entire year, he he lived with the homeless and he was a pastor and kind of learned what that life was like. That's a stunt memoir. People love those. Those tend to be really interesting to editors and agents. And then the last kind in the Christian market that um, seems to be interesting is prescriptive memoir. So this is kind of a, a self-help uh, book mixed with memoir where you're doing some teaching, and it's more practical than just pure story. So knowing this going in, you can take your story, your memoir idea, and, you know, kind of understand what might be a little more attractive to the industry. Well, would you still call it a memoir? Or would you like with the the last one that you were saying, if it's self-help, is that nonfiction? Or do you still kind of put it in that memoir category when you're speaking to a uh, agent or publisher? That's a great question. It depends on how much memoir you have there. So uh, if you have, if it's more memoir than teaching, you might call it a prescriptive memoir. Mm -hmm. 
if it's more teaching, but has a lot of memoir in it, you might call it, you know, Christian living, something like that. Mm. That's And that's good to know, too, because when you look at what the publishing houses are looking for, wanting to acquire, and you go through and they pretty much they're going to tell you because they only want to be approached with what it is that they are looking for. So they're not going to keep it a secret and then tell you no when you present it to them at a writer's conference. And that's a big, I've got plugs here for writer's conferences, folks. If you want to meet a potential agent or potential publishing house to pick up your product, please, please, you must attend writer's conferences. And there are so many of them. And as I mentioned at the beginning, Susie is the um, director of, or the uh, director, yes, of the West Coast Christian Writers Conference. And you'll find that information in our show notes. And of course, you know, we're associated with Blue Ridge Mountain Christian Writers Conference. It's when you go there and you're face to face with these amazing individuals that can help you move your project up the ladder to publication. Be aware of what it is that they're looking for. Don't sit down in front of somebody. And what you're wanting to write has nothing to do with what they're going to bring because you don't want to necessarily, I would probably you wouldn't waste their time because they're, they're going to love to feed into you anyway, but it's best use of your time to be in front of someone who is looking at what it is that you want to give them. So this is amazing. Good, good, good. And just real quick, Susie, when your conference is, when does it, uh, in the fall, did you say, or in, no, that's when registration will probably open in the fall. So yours takes place in February. Is that right? Yes. We just had a conference in February uh, and we are looking at moving to the fall for next year, but we do uh, meet every year uh, in the San Francisco Bay area and yeah, just come on our website and you can track with us and find out what we're up to with the conference. Oh, that's always good. Love to have places for everyone to go to, to be able to reach. Because if you're on the West Coast, coming all the way to the East Coast might be a little bit of a challenge for you. So let's go to places that God has set up, that you're going to be equipped for what it is that you are doing in his kingdom. All right. So looking at the area of writing memoirs, you have for us 10 rules that we need to be aware of. Can you go through those with us? Sure. Uh, the first rule is never open a memoir with I was born in. <laughs> and again, if you're a celebrity, you can do it. But if you're an ordinary person like most of us, you need a little more of an exciting beginning because you don't have much time for a reader to decide if they're going to read your book. And you need to start off with something uh, engaging where um, your reader's going to fall in love with you. They are, they're going to see mm. that you're a real person. You have hopes and dreams and problems and, you know, you're just like them, but something has happened to you and you're going to hint at that a little bit in your opening. And that's much more exciting than telling us the year and date you were born. Very good. I know that you have um, available, made available to our listeners, we have a PDF or access to the 10 rules for memoir uh, 
writing. So it's a great handout, folks. You have that already in the show notes for you. And you offer us, you know, don't do this. Instead, do this. So on this one, you have, of course, you know, don't begin with your birth. But instead, think of your memoir as a story from your life, which is part of what you've shared with us already today. And I like that you have pick an inciting incident to start your memoir. Is there an example of that that you could share with us? You want to, uh, it's, I think of it like dating Linda. <laughs> okay. Okay. We so can do that. Your, your reader is on a first date with you. It's really a blind date unless they know you mm. well. So if you, if it's a reader who doesn't know you, uh, they are trying out your book. This is their first impression of you. And what you want to do is tell a story just like you would on a first date that tells something about you. And that mm. sets up some of the things that are going to happen in your story. The key is not to give it all away. You don't want to say right in advance. You know, you don't want to recap the story for them. You want to just open the door uh, let them step up on the welcome mat, offer them a cup of tea. You have a story to tell them. And that way they get to know you a little bit and they will want that second date. Oh, I like that. Ooh, dating. This is good. Did y'all think about that before? Yeah, that's kind of how it is. You know, because there's some, you sit down for that first time and you're like going within the first few moments of them speaking, you're already teleporting yourself somewhere else mentally and saying, no, this is so not for me. When does that buzzer go off? Anyway. All right. So this is great. This is great. So number one, never open a memoir with I was born in. All right. So what is number two? All right. Number two is use your senses. Again, this is, you know, your story, your details, the things that have happened to you are inside of you and you need to articulate those and present them in a way that it makes your the events of your life, the story that you want to tell, come to life. Because your reader's not in your heart with you. They do not know, you know, the setting, the people, the dialogue, you know, what was said. They don't know any of that. They can't smell the cinnamon rolls baking. They can't feel the warm or the cold breeze on their cheek. You have to put that into words. And so I kind of uh, think of it almost like alchemy, the ancient art of trying to spin straw into gold. You're taking events and feelings and spiritual moments and turning those into words on a page. And you have to appeal to the senses to do that so you can make this come alive for your reader. Absolutely. And as you remind us, there are more than five senses. I really like that. Let me just jump in there, Linda. Uh, sure, scientists sure. believe there may be 20 or more senses, which is just fascinating for a nerdy writer to think about that. That's amazing. I guess I'm like curiouser and curiouser. Yeah, the sense of feeling cold or warm, uh, the sense of mm -hmm. hunger sense of they think the feeling of nausea, you know, that feeling might be a mm. sense. So there's there's more than just the five. It's a deeper evaluation of what the five offer 
that's like a basic, right? You have basic, you have sight. But what about partial sight? Right. What about, oh, my mind is just going crazy right now with that. Ooh, you've ignited some stuff here. This is this is amazing. All right. Number three, what do we have? Number three is study a novel. And again, staying away from the celebrity memoirs, you know, that is not your model. What you want to look at is, you know, pick a story that engaged you. And like you were saying earlier, kind of swept you away. And you want to look at how that novelist did that. How did they grab your attention? How did they make you want to go on that second date? How did they have their characters come to life and kind of jump off the page and into your heart and your head? And so instead of writing, thinking of writing a detailed history of your life, you are thinking of turning a part of your life into a great story. It's a true story. But it's a story that's going to take the reader on a ride. And so that means making those hard decisions, some events, some details that don't move the story forward that are just kind of tedious, factual details. Some of those will need to go. Mm. And this is when it's really important, folks, to study your craft. You need you need to know what is what does story structure mean? What does that look like? How does it work properly? You have a story, but the structure of your story and how you lay it out for the reader holds a lot of value. So you must invest in yourself as you are wanting to invest in the lives of those that are going to take a moment in time, which we don't have a lot of time every day. But if someone is choosing to read your book or to listen to your book, they need to have it or the value placed on it has to be really high for them to take the time to do it because time is a commodity. So make sure that as you're writing, you know your craft. Very good. Number four. I'm going to group four and five. I feel like those two kind of go together. Um, Number four is don't tell us every tragedy that has ever befallen you. Um, You know, most of us have some hard things that we've been through in our lives. Maybe we've survived cancer. Maybe there's been, you know, some dysfunction in your childhood. There's most of us have multiple things that we can talk about. But if you try to tell the story of every one of those tragedies in your memoir, it's probably going to depress your reader. (laughs) So this is part of that picking and choosing I've been talking about. Sometimes you just pick one. That's going to be the story that you're going to tell. And maybe it relates to some of the other things that have happened to you. But sometimes memoirs become a laundry list of Mm. all the hard stuff with no light at the end of the tunnel or that light's just dim or very brief. You know, God comes at the end and that's it. And so I think moments of humor light, redemption, hope, wisdom, surprises, twists and turns. Mm. I think all of those are essential in a good memoir. And and number five is your memoir is not a vehicle for revenge. You know, it is not our job to punish people with the stories that we write. So labeling people, calling them crazy or psychopaths, you know, trying to get back at maybe an ex-husband. Um, I don't think that's the reason for writing memoir. Mm. 
I, I like what you say in there that let the villain's behavior and words show the reader exactly who they are and what they said and did. You know, I'm, I, I would always, when I would work with parents or I would teach parents on a regular basis and many are solo parents now. And so they have an ex, they have that person in their life who will always be in their life because they are the, the other parent of their children. And I received wisdom. I'm, I'm a, I, I divorced, I'm married young and, and divorced. And one of the things that I always felt was important, it was never to speak negative about my ex-husband to my children, to his children. And I think that that is held up in such amazing ways because they will, God will show them what they need to know as they grow and allowing, as you have here, allowing the villain's behavior and words to show the readers, well, you don't have to say it then. All you're letting them do is tag along on the journey with you. It's great wisdom there. Great wisdom. All right. So then number six, then. (laughs) Number six, I hinted at earlier in the beginning, and that is don't give away the entire story up front. Uh, You want to avoid spoilers. I once wrote a book about a racehorse who uh, had been rescued. Uh, He was horribly injured in bad shape. He was rescued and his owner taught him how to paint pictures. And so he, for many years, he painted these beautiful abstract pictures with a paintbrush in his mouth. It's just the cutest story. And the the paintings that he sold went towards special medication from Europe that saved his life, that saved, you know, healed his injuries. And so we made the mistake of calling the book Painting with Metro. Metro was the horse's name. Having his picture on the front with a paintbrush and a painting and giving a blurb on the back that told exactly that what I just told you. So really, oh, people could look at the picture, <laughs> read the back, and get the entire story without having to buy the book. And ah. it would have been so much better if we had, you know, just worked it a little bit and done a, not teasing, but finessed you know, that the Mm. whole presentation of the story so that you had to read the book to find out what was going to happen. And that's so important Mm. for memoir. Mm, So important. I could see that being that (laughs) it could almost be on the back cover. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Number seven, you tell us to aim for a destination. Hmm. So this is the fun of telling a story is you are telling your story to a certain point. You are writing to a certain point. So early on, you need to be thinking about what is your high point. And most people know what it is. They know there was this moment where God reached it, you know, down and pulled them out of a pit or everything changed for them. And they know what that moment is. And you need to kind of place that probably about two thirds, three fifths of the way through. It shouldn't be on the last page. And you need to write towards that. And meaning that 
you are hinting, you are developing, you are creating these different story threads that are taking you to that big moment. Rather than, again, thinking this is a history, I'm going to talk about, you know, what I did in sixth grade. (laughs) And if that Mm. situation in sixth grade did not in some way connect with this high point that you're writing to, you might need to, you know, rethink the sixth grade story. So what I advise people to do is create a story map. You know, I just sit them down with a piece of white paper and a pen have them draw a hill or a mountain on there. And then we put in the high point and we start to kind of fill in these moments, these turning points, these stories that get that train up that hill to that high point. Mm. That's good because what do they say? Without a vision, people will perish. Well, we, we need to have this as well. Where are we going? What is that destination? What is that high point? And I like that you're sharing with us that everything, because you said everything in your narrative should lead to that high point. So very good. All right. Number eight. Number eight is fact check. So of course, because you're writing a memoir, you want to make sure things are correct, that you're being honest. And As you know, Linda, memory can be fickle. You know, we think we remember Mm. something and then we sit and talk to our brother or sister and they remember (laughs) things completely differently because they grew up in their body and mind and heart and they saw things maybe a little differently than you did. So I I advise people to do some research, to um, talk to people who lived through the events that you lived through, who were around you know, your neighbors, your friends, people in the community, talk to those people, see how they remember things. Uh, It's almost like you're a little bit of a journalist or an investigator when you write a memoir. And this can help to flesh out not only details, you know, like we were talking about earlier, but also making sure that you get things right. And so I think creating a timeline in the beginning, kind of helping you to remember, you know, dates and places and times And then, you know, watching as those threads and patterns start to emerge. Um, And I think, you know, doing this research, making sure that you get it right is important. And being honest with the reader. If you don't remember something, if you remember part of it, if other people remember it differently. uh, There's a big bestseller last year called Educated. And Tara Westover said that numerous times in her story. You know, I don't quite remember what happened. This is how I remember it. My brother remembers it differently. Mm, I like that. Be as honest as you can. Don't add something in because it's going to make it sound better. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't be dramatic for drama itself. Make sure whatever we're sharing is as truthful as possible and moves the person on the journey with us. All right. Number nine. All right. Number nine is chronological is best. Sometimes people get carried away with flashbacks and jumping around in time or doing a flashback within a flashback. And pretty soon your reader kind of has whiplash. (laughs) They don't know where you are or what's going on. 
And so, you know, creating that timeline, making sure you kind of have a good sense of when things happen and what led to another, what what thing led to another, and anchoring your story in that time, place, and culture so people feel like they're grounded. You know, no one wants to read a story that went on only in a person's head. You know, some some of the Victorian literature, the great Victorian literature was written like that. It's just all pure emotion and you're just not sure what's going on in the real world. And so the real world's part of your story. You have an internal story and an external story. And those two things need to be balanced. Mm, That was good. Right. And then we have number 10. I like this one. (laughs) Readers are smart. They are very smart people. And so I think, you know, a lot of us as people of faith, we want to preach at people. We want to tell them what to think or feel. We want to tell them who the bad guy or girl is. And instead, you want to be a storyteller and let the reader figure these things out. And I love this storytelling advice from Charles Dickens. Your memoir should make them laugh, make them cry, and make them wait. Mm, So good. We want to capture them. We do. We want to capture them in that first page moment and then take them on a journey and have them just want to, I, I need to turn the page, turn the page, turn the page. And That is what makes just a a fantastic, fantastic memoir for the everyday, everyday writer, for the one that has a story that God has given them, that the world, the readers, maybe not the world, but those that choose to read, that it will impact them in a mighty way and help them maybe to take that next step that they need to take. So this is this has been really good. And we do have access to this in our show notes for all of you to take a look at. And it you have given us so much. This is great, Susie. This is great. I have a question for you. It's another question I like to ask our first time guests on Your Best Writing Life. Susie, Flory, what brings you joy? Linda, what brings me joy is to see a writer who listens, who grows, and who takes the message that God has given them and shares it with as many readers as possible. I mean, that's simple, but that's it. I love seeing writers sit down, write their story, and get it out there because testimony is what you know, furthers the kingdom of God. It brings light into the world. It's God speaking through our words. And I love seeing that happen. Mm. I do too. So good. Your newest book is out, Sanctuary. Woo! Tell us a little bit about that. I know it's co-authored with Patrick Barrett, and it is the true story of an Irish village, a man who lost his way, and the rescue donkeys that led him home. Tell us a little bit about that. And I know we have where everyone can have access to it is also in the show notes, but share some of that with us. Yeah. um, Patrick grew up on a donkey sanctuary. His father founded it and it's this beautiful little village, rolling green hills and 
donkeys, you know, kind of scampering around the hills. And it's just like paradise. When you go there, you feel like you're in another place in time. It's just magical and beautiful. He grew up there. His best friends were donkeys. He had ADHD in school, really, really struggled. And the teachers at that time were very mean, and he was beaten for not being able to memorize things. So he turned to the donkeys to, you know, just love him and be friends with. And uh, as he grew up, he became more troubled and was sent away to fight in the Irish army in Kosovo and Lebanon and came back just a broken man. And Mm. he basically left paradise and it took a journey to get him back to it, to reconnect with the donkeys, to reconnect with this beautiful place and come back home. So that's the journey. Mm. You have given us access to the book map, which I love having book maps. And I'm (laughs) able to see the topography of the environment. You have one of those. You have actually an original watercolor that is a download that we can take a look at. I like that. You're also offering us an excerpt of Sanctuary to Read. And then one of my favorites, part of the sample from the audiobook that's out for Sanctuary. Was that fun for you to hear the book being shared with an Irish accent? <laughs> it really was, Linda. Uh, Patrick wasn't able to do it himself. So an actor was hired, you know, like like you. And mm-hmm. he was aware because, you know, he knows this area well, that every county in Ireland has a different accent, yes. just like many of the regions of the U.S. And so he was able to do a specific accent for Cork County, the Rebel County, where Patrick is from. And yes, I love the musicality of the Irish accents from that area. It's just beautiful. Well, it is. There's something about listening to a book read by someone who has an amazing accent. So I'm looking forward to it, actually. Patrick has the ability to do accents himself, you know, as it sounds like you definitely do too. And he can make the exact sound of a donkey, which I've never heard anyone do it. But he would do donkey calls when I was there in Ireland and call all the donkeys to him in their own language. Oh, that is so cool. I know you've got pictures on your website as well with you and Patrick. And folks, you'll just need to go. You'll need to go and visit that. That's just a lot of fun. Just a lot of fun to see beyond the book and to experience that. So you have that visual impact. And then as you're going through the story itself, it's going to bring it to life for you. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we head off for the rest of our our day today? The most important thing I can say, Linda, is for each person listening to feel like their story has value, to feel like others need to read it. And there's something about reading a memoir, a well-written memoir, that makes us not feel alone and can point us to hope and to the one who helps us also not feel alone. So your story matters. That's my big message. Your story matters. Mm. You're absolutely correct. Story does matter. That's why it's on your heart. That's why you've lived it out. And to be able to share it with those that are in need of hearing exactly what God did in and through your life. Sometimes it's not always a happy ending, but it's the ending that we're given. And if you have a message, 
it's good to be able to share it with those that are ready to receive it. Susie Flory, thank you so much for taking time, precious time out of your day to be here with us on Your Best Writing Life. So good to have you. Thank you, Linda. It's been a privilege. And folks, I thank you as well. Always, always, friends. Thank you for joining us. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review because kind of like what Susie said about your story matters. Well, what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being here with you next time on your best writing 